Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Elkanah loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. It's kind of like a paradox, isn't it? It's like he loved her even though this happened, you know. Even though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And see, that's really where faith kicks in. That's really where our trust in the Lord really kicks in. It's not when everything is going well. That is easy. Anybody can do that. But it's when we Christians go through difficulty. When we go through things that are just grinding us right into the ground, when we are just without, uh, you know, our hearts are just completely broken. How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? Hi, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ. As students of the Bible, we all know that God refines our faith through trials in our life. Beyond Hannah's painful trial, there was a purpose of God. God used the trial of a closed womb to accomplish something great in her life and to further the whole plan of salvation. Even though things were hard, God was still in charge. This is a good example for us to apply to our society today. Things may be unusual at times, but our God is always in control. Now let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and follow along with Pastor Rob. We designed marriage between one man and one wife. One man and one wife. Genesis tells us that in the first chapter, in verse 27, it says that God created man in his own image. And I say this today because this... Scripture needs to be echoed throughout all of our land because all of our land and most of the world is so inundated by the lie that it's okay as long as I love another person. It doesn't matter whether they're a male and a male or a female and a female or a 24-year-old male and a 14-year-old male. California, that is. Did you hear about that recently? I won't go there, but they just passed a law where you can be You can be, uh, it was on the books from 1944 that you could be 24 years old and have a intimate relationship, and you know what that means, with a 14-year-old, whether it was a, you know, heterosexual kind of deal, but uh, the governor recently passed, just a few days ago, that you could actually, if they were of the same sex, that's fine. And so now you can have a man who's 24 years old and a young boy who's 14 years old. Can you believe that? It is so disgusting. So disgusting. But anyway, I say that because this needs to be spoken in all of our land. Again, you all know it. Praise the Lord. But God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and notice, subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Jesus, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 10, 
He said the same thing to the Pharisees. He says, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And I love this. And the two shall become one flesh. Congratulations again, you two, because God has made you two one flesh now. Isn't that wonderful? And it is a good thing. And when you do it in God's way and in God's order, God, you get God's blessing. That's what I love about obeying the word of God. You obey it, you get blessed. If you disobey, then you got troubles. And the world is full of troubles. Why? Because people aren't listening. They're not obeying the word of God. And the two shall become flesh so that when they are no longer two but one, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's the mandate. That's the thing. And whenever man has transgressed this very simple, simple and logical command, it more often than not results in problems. And we're going to see that in this chapter and going forward that, you know, the Lord knew what he was talking about when he made it such. Male and female, together, they leave and cleave. They leave their parents. They come together. So important for us to understand that. And whenever, we, whenever anybody in the, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, whenever there is more than one wife, one, more than one spouse, problems happen. Problems happen. And it happens all the time. We see it in Genesis. Remember with a- Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Sarah couldn't have children. So Sarah gets so frustrated, she finally looks over at her handmaid, Hagar, the Egyptian, and she knows the promises of God, Sarah does, and she's thinking, well, since I can't have a child, then go in unto her and have a child. And he obeys her. He goes in, and, and they have Ishmael. But in, invariably, problems ensued, and we see that in Genesis 21, verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who was Ishmael, whom she had already borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. And so it creates family problems. It creates family problems. We see the same thing with Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah have this game with Jacob, and they're, 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 almost, they're, they're vying for affection based on how many children they can have by Jacob. And they're playing these games, and you read the account in Genesis 30, and they're just going back and forth, and there's such strife in the home. Leah and Rachel fighting with each other, and Jacob can you imagine the headache of coming home to that, being out in the field and coming home and have two wives not speaking to you because you said something to one and the other whispered about it or whatever? It's just, it's not a good thing. God made a marriage, one man and one woman. And we're going to see the tension. And let's look at the really incredible example is Solomon. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings that he had 700 wives. 300 concubines. That's entertaining like three point, or 2.75 wives every day. Having them at your table, because you can't have them all probably. Oh, what's your name again? You know, your face looks familiar, but I haven't seen you in like three years. What's your name again? It just isn't right. God made things very simple for us. And he made, uh, and this man had two wives, uh, Hannah. Her name means grace, and I love that. She's going to experience the grace of God. And Penina, her, the other woman who Elkanah had married, her name means jewel. 
And notice that, but Hannah had no children, and to be barren, barren or childless in a Jewish culture was tantamount to God's curse being upon you. That's really the way it was. She would be valued less in the culture, and because of human nature, people would look down upon her, and she would be in contempt of her peers as they looked upon her. There must be something wrong with you. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Look, look down upon you. Maybe you're in middle school. Maybe there was some identifying mark about you. Maybe you look funny. Maybe you weren't that cute. Maybe you were gorgeous. Either way, you got all this attention, and sometimes it just is not good for you to receive all that attention. And people like to, to, to draw out those distinctions, especially young kids, and they torture you with them. Happened to me when I was little. I mean, think of a name like Kellogg. I mean, how many times was I walking along the, you know, the going from class to class by the lockers and hear somebody go, hey, cornflake. Hey, snap, crackle, and pop. Hey, sugar smacks. Those are all Kellogg cereals, by the way. And I'd encourage you to get Cocoa Puffs because those are really good. You can hear them crackle when you pour milk on them. But anyway, but they, she was valued less Uh, Hannah because of her barrenness. And to further exasperate things, the law said the following. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12, it said this, and it was in in relationship to God's blessings of obedience. Notice what it said in, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. It shall come to pass, because you listen to these commandments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you the covenant, keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers, and he will love you. And he will bless you and multiply you. He will also, notice this, bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give. And so here's Hannah, barren, knowing very well the scripture, thinking to herself, God must hate me. I must have done something wrong. And, you know, we jump to those conclusions. We shouldn't jump to those conclusions. Do you think God was upset with Hannah? I don't think he was upset with her. But sometimes God will take somebody who is doing everything right. They got a great heart. And he'll cause them to go through a crucible in front of everybody. And he's refining, isn't he? Some people say, well, you know, why does does God do... Bad, you know, allow bad things to, to good people. And the problem is there's really no good people because the Bible says all have fallen short, right? But he's always doing stuff. And I love what he did in Hannah's life because she really became a trophy. And where did she go when she's undergoing this scrutiny, this pain? Did she run and, and get on her phone and call her girlfriends and say, can you believe what Penina said to me today? She said, I look fat, Right? You're fat. You can't have children. No, where did she go? She ran right to the Lord. She ran right to him. And that is the best thing she should have done. And that she did. We know that later on, after all of this that we're going to read, that Hannah later on had five other kids. It tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Uh, Verses 20 and 21, it says, And the Lord visited Hannah, and this is after the birth of Samuel, who we're going to get to in just a few moments. It says, The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child grew before the Lord. And this is after she brought him to Shiloh and dedicated him to the Lord. 
But notice in verse 3, it says, This man, Elkanah, he went up from his city, which is Ramah, yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also the two sons of Eli, who were Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Three times in the year, Jewish males were supposed to go up to Israel, or up to the tabernacle or the temple. And in Exodus, it tells us that. For one, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, uh, the Feast of Harvest, which is you and I know as Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Ingathering, which we also know as the Feast of Tabernacles. Those three feasts, every Jewish male was supposed to go up yearly to take place in those, uh, those feasts. And they went up to Shiloh. This word is actually a proper noun, and it's also the name of a place. Shiloh is a, is a word that means the peaceful one. And not only was it a city, but it was also a name for Jesus Christ. Until Shiloh come, it's a, it's a, it's a, a word denoting the Messiah. And this is ultimately where the tabernacle, after the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, had come into the land, promised land. After their brief stint at Gilgal, the the ark finally came to rest in Shiloh. And that's where they set up the tabernacle. And that's where it was for quite a long time before it was stolen by the Philistines. So let's look at these three men here, this Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. We find that Eli was the high priest during that time, and his two sons, uh, also Levites, they were, they were men serving, uh, they were priests as well. And Eli, unfortunately, was not a good example, and his sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, were not good examples either. We'll see later the trouble that they got in and, and the moral decrepitness that was in them and the things, the horrible things that they did right within the tabernacle and Eli just kind of turned a blind eye to it. And whenever a father, whenever a parent turns a blind, a blind eye to something like this in, in their child's life, and they do nothing about it, they are storing up for themselves a bumper crop, a bumper crop of sin, and the, and the consequences are going to be huge. And we're going to see later it costs these men their lives. Verse 4, it says, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. As they would go up to the tabernacle in Shiloh, he would give them uh, a lamb and, uh, and other things, and grain and things of, the, of that nature to offer up on the altar in Shiloh. And it's interesting, too, that this is the last time we hear Penina's name mentioned in Scripture. We don't hear anything of her, her sons, her daughters at all. She's no longer mentioned, um, perhaps because of her heart attitude, but I think a, a, a bigger reason is that really the narrative here is to show um, Samuel and, and, and Samuel's life. And so one thing I love about the Bible, as you read, even the genealogies in the Old Testament, you'll notice that he winnows down. He quickly gets down to a fine point. He takes a, a lot of people, and he comes down, and he's narrowing it down to Shem, I've noticed this in, in Genesis. It just blew my mind. You know, it spent a lot of you know talked about Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their and their family trees, but then it just kind of ignores that. It doesn't go straight through, and then all of a sudden, it just it really hones in on Shem. And why? Because it's through Shem that the Messiah would come. 
And everything in the Bible is like that. It, it, it's, it, it's, there's a broad paintbrush at first, and it quickly narrows it down to show you the plan of redemption. And that's what God is doing right now. He's totally getting Penina out of the way and her sons and daughters because ultimately it's Samuel. Samuel, this, this man of great integrity, considered the last judge of Israel and also the first major prophet of Israel. And, and um, But notice to Hannah, he, give a, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah. I, I love this. You know, in, in the Greek language, the word love can be... Um, there's several different Greek words that we translate the word love, but in the, in the Hebrew, there's only one word for love, and it's ahav or ahava. And it means love, and it's a very broad word. But at the very essence of it, the significance, the root word of it is love with the intention of giving, not so much forgetting. It's about giving. And it's so unlike the love that we see in America, where we, we call it love, but really what it is is eros most of the time. It's a selfish kind of love. What can you do for me? What can I get from you instead of giving Isn't that what love is? For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the very fact that God loved, he loved with a sacrificial heart. It was always in giving. And that's so different from any other word in any other language. And so the Hebrew has one word for love. You look at it in the Hebrew, anytime you see love in the Old Testament, it's this word, ahav, or ahava. And having children was a sign of God's blessing. And her barrenness, uh, again, was considered a curse. I love what it says in Psalm 127. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the room, the, the, the fruit of the loom, the fruit of the womb. Boy, the fruit of the womb is, is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are a heritage to the Lord. But to Hannah... He would give a double portion, for he loved her, although the Lord had closed her womb. It kind of reminds me of, remember Job? Job said this in Job 13. He says, though he slay me, Job speaking of God, he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And it reminded me of, you know, the Lord, uh, you know, um, uh, Elkanah loved Hannah, although the Lord closed her womb. It's kind of like a paradox, isn't it? It's like, he loved her even though this happened, you know. Even though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And see, that's really where faith kicks in. That's really where our trust in the Lord really kicks in. It's not when everything is going well. That is easy. Anybody can do that. But it's when we, Christians, go through difficulty. When we go through things that are just grinding us right into the ground. When we are just without, uh, you know, our hearts are just completely broken, I mean, I was looking at Connie Beck and, and just seeing, you know, losing the love of her life of 40 years. And then less, about a month later, she loses a sister. And about a year before that, she lost a daughter. And now she's got another relative. It's not looking so good. Keep her in your prayers. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff. 
and we can't make this up. We don't have the God knows what he's doing. And it's not for us to say, you know, Lord, I don't really think I want that in my life. I'd much rather have the beach house with a nice car that runs and, uh, you know, crack crab by the seashore. That's kind of what I would like. And he's like, you know what, If if I gave you that, Rob, you wouldn't even know me at all. You wouldn't know the depths of my grace. You wouldn't know the depths of my love. But it's in those difficulties. It's always in the things that crush us. That's why I like Job. He says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And at the end, he says, you know what? I've heard you with the hearing of my ear, but now I see you. Now I have a better, way better understanding than anybody on the earth at that time. And that man went through everything. He lost it all. He lost even his bodily health, his physical health. And yet God was surely with him. And notice verse 6, And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Who was her rival? Who's her rival? Penina. Her rival provoked her severely. This word literally means vexation, grief. It is an indignation. It's... It's wrath. That's really what it is. Frustration. It's, it's at your wit's end. So Penina did this. She provoked Hannah severely. It wasn't enough just to kind of, you know, she taunted her daily with it. Have you ever been taunted daily with something that somebody just, it's like, a, it's like um, lemon juice on a paper cut. Every single day, someone's dropping lemon juice in a paper cut of yours, and it's just like everything is grating. You're just like, oh, God, kill me. You don't even pray, you know, because you're spiritual. You'd say, Lord, don't kill them, but kill me. That sounds better. Have you ever had anybody like that in your life? Probably all of us have at some point. And this is where her life was. And not only that, they were all under the same roof. Enemies under the same roof. Does that sound like many households today? I think it does. And she made her miserable, violently agitated. That's literally what it means, irritated with anger and rage. This is where Panina was doing. She's pushing all the buttons with Hannah. Probably walking by, walking by Elkanah with two kids in each arm, and, and uh, Elk, they're at the dinner table, and she's sitting there with two little infants. And she looks over at Hannah. Hannah, could you get me something to drink? I got my hands full. As you can see, since you're not doing anything, since you're barren. Oh, wait, are you a baroness? <laughs> can you imagine the digs? Can you imagine the, the, the awful things that she did to her? Her rival, rubbing it in her face daily. And this is a result of sin. It's the result of having more than one wife. Certainly when a man and a woman, they have difficulties, there's enough trouble with just two, isn't there? Have you noticed for anyone who's been married, two sinners coming together, one flesh. Does that always happen and everybody's like, oh, this is so great, you know, it's wonderful in the beginning, and then as time goes on, you're like, I'm going to... I can't wait for her to leave the house. I'm going to super glue her curlers to her bed. People get like that. They get ugly. I've never done that to my wife. 
Number one, she doesn't use curlers. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.